Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello and welcome to Self-Improvement Atlas, the personal science insight podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Aditi Kuti. Let's get on with the show. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're going to be talking about body movement, um, specifically nonverbal communication, how we can enhance our nonverbal communication to become more socially skilled. Um, I am joined today by Ron Regio, who is a professor at Claremont McKenna University. Um, Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Aditi. Now, tell us a little bit about what you do. I feel like I already know because my researchers have been talking about you in the lead up to this episode so much. Um, But for the audience, um, tell us a bit about yourself. Okay. So I'm a, uh, my title is Professor of Leadership and Organizational Psychology. And I'm here at the Kravis Leadership Institute at Claremont McKenna. And uh, so we study leadership. And actually, that seems a far, uh, far afield from um, what we want to talk about body language or nonverbal communication. But uh, let me just briefly give you my background. So I started out as a social psychologist studying nonverbal communication or, or what people call body language. And one of the things that I was interested in was individual differences in people's ability to communicate nonverbally. And so we can talk about verbal communication skill. We kind of understand there are people who are great orators or great writers. And, you know, and we spend our lives studying verbal communication and learning how to write and how to speak. But we don't really receive any training in nonverbal communication. And we know that people vary in their ability to communicate nonverbally. So that's what I was studying. And how did I get to leadership? Well, I got to leadership through this idea that we know that some people who are very skilled at communicating nonverbally, um, we might call them charismatic or, uh, you know, they're the kinds of people who just sort of light up a room when they're they're present. And when I started studying that, these people who are very, very exceptionally skilled in nonverbal communication, um, I called them charismatic. And the only place where charisma was really studied was in the area of leadership. We talk about charismatic leaders, you know, famous charismatic leaders. And so eventually the, the, the two topics came together. And so one of the areas that I've studied in leadership is what makes a person charismatic. And then if you look at it from the applied part, um, how can leaders become more effective in their communication and their ability to communicate with the people that they're leading? So, so it was kind of this long journey um, from studying basic processes of communication to applying it to making people more effective leaders or making people more effective communicators in general. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it does seem, when you first introduced it, it seemed like a lot of very different topics, but when you put it that way, um, it's all interconnected and, and very linked. I guess the 
kind of silent ways that we communicate with people are so important, especially in a workplace. Yeah, it definitely is. And 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 if we think about one of the ways you think about leaders is are they effective? Are they effective at what they do? And that translates to each and every one of us. So a leader has to be able to communicate. And one of the areas you know that that's important is being able to inspire people to motivate them. And a lot of that is emotional. And and pretty much we communicate our emotions non-verbally. We don't, you know, we can't do it very effectively just with words. I can say I'm very happy, but if my face is sad, uh, you're not going to believe that I'm actually happy. You're not going to believe my words. Um, but you know that that sort of applies to anyone, um, at, you know, because communication is so important. Whether we're in a leadership position, whether we're just an employee, our ability to communicate is critically important. And uh, so, you know, the verbal communication we get, we can study that, we can write down our script at our jobs or whatever, you know, if we're interacting with customers. But the nonverbal skills are much more subtle. Uh, they're much more abstract and hard to grasp and hard to understand for people. Yeah, we're going to deep dive, I guess, a lot into that um, and how, how people communicate non-verbally and how to get better at it um, in our episode. But first, I wanted to start with our segment called Have You Met um, Ron Reggio, um, in which I ask you a few very simple questions um, about yourself. Are you ready to answer them? I'm ready. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, all right. What is your favorite book? My favorite book? You know, my favorite book is actually a psychology book. And it's called Influence, um, and I think the subtitle is Science and Practice. And it's by a social psychologist that I know, Robert Cialdini. And basically, he takes social influence processes and breaks it down so that it's very simple for a layperson to understand how we can actually influence other people to get them to do what we want them to do. Right, right. Um, so great starting off with a psychology wreck there. So that's a great one. Um, what about a movie? movie well i'm uh my family is sicilian uh one of the best movies i think of all time are well series of movies are the godfather movies and so i've actually um i've actually even written about leadership lessons from the godfather movies okay okay that's cool um i my check out is that on psychology today have you have you written it on there or? That, that one is um okay. i think leadership lessons from the godfather so. okay well definitely i'm um, both a movie wreck and a blog post wreck for, so that's that's a double um in one um what about a podcast that you've been listening to lately so i uh have a, a friend a, a colleague uh scott allen who um is at john carroll uh university and he has a podcast called phronesis and it's practical wisdom uh for leaders and for, and, and from leadership Mm -hmm. And what about like a famous role model that you've looked up to? Uh, um, you know, that, a lot of role models. And I mentioned that I've studied charismatic leadership. And so there are a number of those sort of charismatic figures that I have studied. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, JFK, our, our former president. Um, you know, so... So being a leadership scholar, I, I look to those leaders um, as role models for effective communication and for uh, other, other elements of effectiveness. 
Okay. Okay. Um, I guess someone from The Godfather would probably apply as well. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you talk about some of the characters in those movies, yeah. um, you know, they, there are some lessons there. There are both lessons for good leadership and lessons for bad leadership. And, and obviously, in a, 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 it's essentially a story of a crime family. So yeah, that's true. That's true. Can't um, rely on that too much, I guess, as a role model. Um, what about the last course that you completed? The last course that I completed? Well, I haven't been in school for a long time. I'm usually on the other side. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, as a faculty member, as a professor, I think we learn a lot from our students. And I think people don't realize that. They think professors are doing all the teaching and none of the learning. And um, I was able to do a upper level seminar in leadership with um, a very small number of, of students who were uh, more senior, about ready to graduate. And um, I learned a lot from them as I taught them about leadership. I learned a lot about how they view leadership from a student, from a, you know, a 20, 21 year old perspective. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think um, a lot of, especially the younger kids, younger kids are coming in with very fresh perspectives because they've lived very different lives, I guess. Um, I mean, I'm not too much older, but um, <laughs> I guess uh, having lived, having known what it was like to live before social media, I think the people that are probably in senior um, year kind of around now um, probably have very different thoughts about how the world operates than I do. I think I think definitely, um, you know, uh, social media has changed us. Um, these students that I was teaching, they spent the first part of their uh, undergraduate, you know, their college career uh, virtually because of the pandemic. So they had some unique experiences, experiences that uh, no one else is going to have because of that, you know, incredible, incredible impact of that event, the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Uh, well, that's the end um, of our segment, um, You Are Known. And so we can move on uh, to our topic of the day, which is focusing on nonverbal communication. Um, and I guess I wanted to start off very broadly. Our show is about personal development. How do you define personal development? So personal development and it doesn't really matter what you're trying to develop so the two areas i work in are you know developing your communication skills your nonverbal communication skills but then also developing leadership and i think the one thing when it comes to any kind of development is we have to realize first and foremost that if we want to develop something that is complicated whether that be you know communicating nonverbally leadership um becoming, you know, more effective in a, in a job or, or whatever, um, it's hard work, right? Development is hard work. And um, so you have to be motivated. You have to be willing to put in the time and to sustain that motivation in order to be able to change. I work with a colleague who's a, a, an expert in leadership development, um, my colleague David Day. And he has this great analogy about development. And he, and he talks about leadership development. He says, a lot of times we think it could just happen in a specific event. So we go to a workshop, a leadership workshop, or we spend a, a weekend, a team building exercise or something like that. And he says, really, in the course of development, that's like getting a ticket to an amusement park. You know, <laughs> you spend a day 
you kind of learn, you know, you see a few things, but what really sticks? And then he says, actual leadership development is much more like a gym membership, right? And for the gym membership, you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to go every day or several times a week and stick with it if you're going to get any change. And I think that that is a, a terrific lesson for people. So if people, you know, change doesn't occur overnight. Development doesn't occur overnight. And so I think you really have to uh, put the time in and put the energy into it and stay motivated. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I suppose the gym analogy is a good one and that it's just like, it's changed that kind of just constantly it's like very very little increments kind of over time and that it's not kind of one that when you go to a gym you're not going to see the effects of it immediately it's going to take you quite a long time before you actually notice a difference right and, and the other thing too and so think about it in the gym or if you think about it in we're talking about improving nonverbal communication you've got to get some feedback so feedback is critically important. Now, obviously, if you're in the gym, you know, you can take a picture of your physique or if you're trying to lose weight, you can weigh yourself or you can measure muscle mass or, you know, a body fat and all we have all these measurement devices. But when we're talking about developing something uh, like our ability to communicate or our leadership or our competency in any area, it's harder to measure, you know. And, but, but it is critical that we get some feedback so that it can continue to motivate us so that we can say, I, yes, I'm improving. And that then motivates you to improve even further. And so that you can see the development as you move through the whole process. Yeah, for sure. What do you feel are the main challenges in attaining personal development? I mean, I think that one of the main challenges is how do you stay motivated? How do you keep working at it? Um, and so I think that's something that, that people have to really think about. They have to, you know, how, how can I stay at this? How can I stick to it? Um, I think the other thing is uh, having that plan for getting the feedback so that you can see the improvement. And, you know, and that's really hard. And a lot of times we have to turn to other people to get that feedback. And we have to be honest and straightforward and say, you know, so what are you seeing in me, in my behavior that is positive? And, uh, you know, what is not so positive? And, you know, because um, it's not, a, you know, development is not a straight line, right? Sometimes we have setbacks and sometimes we have these sort of bursts of growth and development. Uh, but then we may be flat for a long period of time. So if you think about people think that the trajectory is kind of like a straight upward diagonal, but it's really, you know, ups and downs. And, you know, and, and if you look across time, maybe we're getting a little bit better, but there may be times where we have a dip too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, 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 mood and little things like that, personal circumstances can make our efforts in trying to develop ourselves um, harder or easier, depending on, you know, what's going on. Absolutely. We can get distracted. We can take a break. And, and you know, how do we get back into it? That kind of thing. For sure. For sure. I want to now hone in on our topic for the day, which is nonverbal non communication. And I guess to start off very bare bones, how do you define nonverbal communication? Okay. Well, in a very general sense, nonverbal communication 
is everything that we do that communicates that that is not verbal, is not the spoken word, word or the written word, right? Mm -hmm. So it's everything else. Now, if you think about that, there's an awful lot there. Um, you know, it, it involves things. So what are some of the components of nonverbal communication? Well, obviously, facial expressions. Our faces are incredibly complex. Our facial musculature is primarily designed not just for chewing and for, you know, seeing and all of those kinds of functions, but it's actually designed to communicate. So our facial muscles will allow us to uh, put on a happy face or put on a sad face, you know, um, to show interest in people. And so facial expressions are important. Similarly, tone of voice. So our tone of voice can go up, down. It can have, have emotional content. So one of the things when I think about nonverbal communication, a lot of it is communicating emotions, is communicating feelings to other people. And, and as I said earlier, I can say I'm happy, but if I don't have a happy face, if I don't have an upbeat, happy tone of voice, you're not going to believe the words, right? Um, it also involves gestures and body movement. And, um, you know, and in, in essence, even silence, even the fact that we're not communicating can communicate nonverbally to people, right? Why are you, why are you not reacting? So it's a, it, there's just so much, it's just so, um, broad, the area of nonverbal communication. So all of these things are happening simultaneously. That's why it's really hard to understand and to hard, hard for people to master. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even just with that example of silence, I immediately thought like there's so many different things that silence can communicate based on the circumstances that you're in. Like it could be like, what are you hiding? What do you not want to tell me? Or it could be like, oh, you're angry at me for sure. You just don't want to say it. Like it, it, it can mean so many different things, but it's always very clear. Yeah, it, it, it really is. Um, and, and the other thing about nonverbal communication is we're always communicating nonverbally. Right. So even when we're silent, it's communicating, um, you know, and, uh, you know, our bodies are very often in constant motion. Right. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of messages going on. And so when we talk about ability to communicate nonverbally, so let's look at the I think the easiest one and the people, the one that people think about is what we call sensitivity or your ability to decode others' communications, others, other people's nonverbal communications. So right now I see you nodding your head. And so that nodding your head is telling me that you either agree with what I'm saying or you're capturing what I'm saying, right? Um, now, I may be wrong and you may just be nodding for, you know, for whatever reason, you may, you know, <laughs> a tune in your head that you're you're nodding to, um, but but you know all of that is is being processed, right? And so the sensitivity, and that's when I think people think about, okay, I want to become better at nonverbal communication. I want to become better at reading other people's body language, right? So sensitivity is our ability to pick up on those cues, those nonverbal cues but our ability to accurately interpret them. And that's the hard part, right? So what does that facial expression actually mean? And part of that is then we have to take into account the context. 
So if somebody's smiling, we say, well, what happened that might have made them just smile? Well, I told them a joke or, you know, uh, but they could also just be smiling because they're thinking of something else. So it, it really is quite complex. But if we talk about developing that sensitivity, I think the first step is that you've got to be aware of other people's um, nonverbal cues, their, their body language, and you've got to be attuned to it. And so the first thing is attention. Are we paying attention to what other people are saying with their bodies? Or are we just staring blankly you know, at the other person? And so a lot of it is sort of engaging your brain to be able to tr actually try to um, understand what we call decode, decode what the other person's body language is trying to communicate. Yeah, for sure. And I guess how, how important is it for people to be able to decode what another person is communicating? I, I think it I think if we if we sort of stop and think about it, it's it's critically important in relationships, right? So when we have trouble with our with a partner in a relationship, the partner says, you know, you don't understand me, right? What what are they saying? Well, you're not reflecting that you understand me. So I'm upset, you know, your partner says I'm upset and you're not picking up on that. Um or you know, you don't understand what it's like to be in my position. And so yeah. let's kind of look at sensitivity through the lens of empathy. All right. So there's a couple ways of thinking about empathy. And one way is to think about, am I empathic with your emotions? So you're sad right now. And can I pick up from your facial expressions, your sort of uh, down, downward, uh, 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 body movement, you know, your head's uh, down, your eyes are down. Can I pick up that you're sad? And can I reflect yeah. back? I'm sorry that you're sad. You know, how can I, what can I do? How can I cheer you up? So that's one element of empathy, the emotional part. The other part is, can I take your perspective? So you've just had a serious loss in your life. Can I put myself into your perspective, what we call perspective taking empathy and say, what would it be like if I were in the other person's shoes? And so when we talk about our ability to communicate, we have to take all of this into account. Um, can I pick up on your emotions? Can I decode those? Can I understand what it's like to be in your position? And then how do I express back to you my concern that I, I feel sympathy with you? You know, I... I appreciate that you've lost something in your life. So, so, you know, I started getting at a sense and all we're dealing with right now is that sensitivity. Can I pick up on your emotions? Can I pick up on the messages you're sending? The other side of that is, do I have the ability to express myself to you, to express myself non-verbally to you? Yeah. Yeah. Are you, am I able to send? So think about that you're sad and I'm trying to show empathy or sympathy with you. Does my face look sad too? Do, am I mirroring back that I am concerned? I am understanding that you're sad right now. And so part of that is in that communication process. 
So in a relationship, it's really about, am I understanding you? And are you understanding me as I communicate back to you? Right? So, you know, and and it, it's incredibly complex. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I'm, I, I would, I mean, we'll be diving into that, I guess, with the questions so far. But I guess my next question is, as you know, what, what are, and I, I respect that this might be quite a big, a big one. What are kind of the basics of nonverbal communication? What are the things that we should be looking out for? What tends to be, what are the ways we communicate that are just kind of common amongst everyone? Yeah. So, so first and foremost, when we've talked a little bit about this is facial expressions is sort of looking, you know, reading the face now, now realize too, that sometimes when we're experiencing really strong emotions, we control that expression. And, you know, and so we, you know, as we say, put on a happy face, right? We, we try to cover up the emotions. And so um, the felt emotions, why are we doing that? Well, because we don't want, I don't want you to know what I'm actually feeling. And, you know, l let me sort of bring that into a leadership situation. So, a leader, let's think of a crisis situation. So we just got some incredibly bad news. Um, and if you're the lead and, and everybody's upset or everybody's concerned, or let's think of a, a, a situation, a crisis situation, right? And everybody's experiencing fear. You know, the company has lost a lot of money where there's impending layoffs. All right. So everybody's afraid. Now, wh where does the leader come into this? The leader comes into this by first recognizing and assessing everybody nonverbally and saying everybody's afraid. And I'm afraid too. I might lose my job. But as the leader, I have to control the expression of my fear and put a more positive face to the team because I'm not going to be effective. If they, everybody's going to panic, there's going to be sort of a contagion. And if the leader looks scared, the employees are going to go, oh my gosh, we're all going to lose our jobs, right? And, and so another element is that ability to regulate and control. So if we're talking about trying to read another person, we need to think about, okay, what are they trying to convey to us? And also, are there some subtle cues that they're not being emotionally straightforward with us, that they're not, you know, they're not really expressing how they feel. And so we look for those subtle cues that say, you know, you're looking like you're positive. You're looking like you're somewhat happy, but I detect beneath that, that maybe something is upsetting you. And so when we think about it from a relationship standpoint, we want to make sure that, um, that we're looking at all the cues and then we can use the verbal language in a relationship to try to check ourselves and to try to get some feedback. Am I reading this situation correctly? Sure. I guess um, in that, you know, there are subtleties that perhaps might give someone's real feelings away. Are there kind of just, you know, I'm assuming we're relatively good at controlling our face, but are there perhaps other ways of being able to spot those subtleties in people? Yeah. So there's a concept, uh, a very uh, famous uh, researcher in nonverbal communication, Paul Ekman, 
he, he uses the term nonverbal leakage. So in other words, we're trying to control our expressions and in some in sometimes small body language, small nonverbal cues give away our true feelings. And he actually gets that from Sigmund Freud. So Sigmund Freud made a comment about how people try to control their emotions, but but he says, I think the quote is something like, but their their nervous fingertips belie them, you know, that they're they're the nervous movements. So one of the things um, that I think is really important is to pay attention to those cues that might be uh, leaking out the person's true feelings. And so if we think about it that way, so don't always accept in the same way that we don't always accept what people tell us as the truth. We don't want to accept that initial impression that the person's giving non-verbally as the true emotions. You want to look and you want to say, well, they're saying this and their, their, their face tells me this, but some of these other cues tell me that maybe there's a different emotion or a different thing going on. Right, right. What are, I guess, the challenges in implementing good nonverbal communication? So I think the challenges are, um, so, so use this analogy. If we're trying to express emotions, think about acting. Think about trained actors, right? So trained actors can, can cry on cue, right? We've all seen movies and you, you know that the person's acting, but those tears look real, right? I mean, you know, you, you really, now there's two ways of acting. There's two schools of acting. One is in order to cry in a scene, you think of really sad things. You think of the death of a parent or the death of a loved one, and that's what we call method acting, right? Or informally yeah. called method acting. The other is just just turning it on, right? Just just posing that particular emotion. And so, in everyday life, we're like actors in that sense. And so at some point, you want to be able to communicate non-verbally your true feelings. You want to be able to do it in sort of an authentic way and, and not, you know, try to cover it up or whatever. If you really want the, per the other person in the relationship to know how you're feeling. But what happens a lot of times is we say, well, you know, if they really knew how I felt, I don't want to upset them. You know, and so we think about it that way. So I think a lot of it is, and I think the analogy is to think about it in terms of social acting. How can I become a more effective social actor? How can I convey my feelings more, more accurately, more authentically? Um, and on the other side, how can I read the other person so that I can react to them? So one of the things that when people say, well, how can I become better at, at uh, nonverbal communication, body language, I say, take an acting course. Okay. Right. You know, they're offered all the time and, you know, there's sort of community theater and, and, uh, actual courses you can take because as you become more, uh, uh you know, more skilled in, in acting, you also become more skilled in understanding what your own body is doing. And so really acting teachers, acting coaches, they're teaching people, about both verbal communication, how do you say your lines, but really how do you do it in terms of the nonverbal presentation? 
Yeah, and it would require, I, I, I assume, quite a bit of control over your body and uh, and your face, your facial expressions as well, which I don't know if people inherently have. Is Am I correct in assuming that? Yeah, yeah. It, it's really hard to do it. So what else do you have to do if you want to develop your uh, nonverbal communication? Well, you got to videotape yourself. You've got you've to get some feedback, you know. And so a good thing is to, you know, just like an actor does, they stand in front of a mirror and they practice their lines. I think you want to do that too. You want to use some of those same techniques because you have to get that feedback. Now, if you don't want to, you know, be, you, you know, you want to do it in a real world interaction, you can have a trusted partner, um, someone who's going to help you develop your uh, nonverbal communication skills that will provide you feedback and say, you know, we just had this interaction and here's some things I didn't understand, you know, um, you didn't look like you really, you know, were all that serious and, you know, or you were doing these weird things with your hand gestures that were, that was distracting me from, um, you know, so think about it too, uh, if you're going to give a, a speech, right? One of the things that we focus on is speech, we focus on the words, but there are nonverbal things that we want to get rid of. We want to get rid of the speech disturbances, the uhs, the ahs, the weird pauses, right? And those are really nonverbal cues. And if you're saying something positive, you might want to uh, have a po more positive facial expression. You might want to punctuate it with gestures, right? Politicians do this all the time. They, they, they learn how to gesture effectively. Yeah, I was actually going to ask, you know, the ums, the ahs, the pauses, um, which I'm quite guilty of myself. Uh, do they count? Are they verbal or are they nonverbal? But I feel like you answered that for me. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think most of them are nonverbal, right? I mean, because they are disruptions in the flow of speech. They're not actual words. I mean, if I say the wrong word, that me, you know, then I have to correct myself or whatever. But uh, uh, these disruptions, these speech disruptions or speech disturbances may affect the flow of the communication. Now, one of the things that's kind of interesting is we did a study actually, and we looked at us, okay, the, you know, the, the, just the us that happened. And if the flow of the speech is, is consistent, the us go unnoticed. So I remember like speech teachers, they count the us, right? If you've give, given a presentation and they say, well, you didn't do very well because you had 25 us in there. But what we found is that the us can be used in a positive way to kind of hold the speaker's attention. So I'm telling you uh, about this uh, and I want to continue the, the dialogue, right? So they weren't necessarily always bad. Where they were bad was when they disrupted the flow of communication. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And that makes me feel a little bit better about <laughs> all of my speech interruptions <laughs> as well. I'm guilty of so many. Um, how how has technology affected this? I mean, we, we, we've we lived through a pandemic. You talked about how your students had to study in a pandemic. Um, a lot of remote conversations. We are, you know, recording this podcast remotely as well. How how has that changed how we both interpret and also communicate non-verbally? Yeah. So there's been huge changes. One of the problems in electronic communication. So if we talk about texting or email or whatever, 
you know, text communication. Well, what's the problem with text communication over, you know, in comparison to face-to-face communication? Well, face-to-face communication, we see all the nonverbal cues. In text, we don't see any nonverbal cues. So what did we do? Well, we created a whole system for putting the nonverbal elements, particularly the emotions, into the text. And those are emojis, right? So we've created emojis to punctuate, to put back some of the nonverbal communication into the purely text verbal communication. And we talk about those emojis. Now, here's the thing. I'm, you're a generation that grew up with emojis. I'm a generation that did not. And so I have to ask my kids, you know, what does that emoji mean where you probably could, you know, so my emoji vocabulary is very limited, whereas younger people, their emoji vocabulary is very, very broad um, and subtle and all that. And it just shows the difference. So if I really wanted to become a good emoji communicator, I would practice what I'm preaching right now and put myself on a course to understand all of those subtle emojis so that I'm not miscommunicating in my text. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There are many ways that it can go wrong for sure. I'm also wondering if, you know, there's a lot of slang that's specific to the internet that come with their own nuances and their own connotation. Would that kind of work in the same vein as emojis or or would you consider that verbal? Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of that is verbal. And I think that what we do often, if we're smart in our in our text or in our written communication, is we should think about how is the other person going to read this. And so, if I if I'm giving you a response to a, a a statement or a question that you have, want to think about how are they going to take this? Are they going to take this that I'm, you know, that I actually mean this? So so that's where the emojis come in, right? So if I'm being uh, flippant, right, I might put a winky emoji on there or something like this. This basically telling you, I don't really mean this. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, or if I'm joking, I could use an emoji or I can use the LOL, right, to say, hey, I'm just kidding here, right? Mm-hmm. But in face-to-face communication, we get that from the tone of voice, from the way the person says that, you know. Now, here's another thing is why I think uh, video conferencing. First, the technology came along, but why did that take off during the pandemic? And like we did all of our education here, college education online, is because you've got lots of nonverbal communication in because I can see you. It's very different from a telephone conference where I can only hear your voice, right? Sure. So we are getting a lot of the nonverbal cues, but they're sort of two dimensional nonverbal yeah. cues. And yeah, I can't sure. see what your feet are doing right now. You know, you may be nervously tapping your feet, and I might see that if we were sitting in the room together. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, like it's it's better than not having, um, you know, any kind of video or visual at all. I think, but there's still, I think, a lot that's happening kind of from the like shoulders down that we don't really see, like especially yeah. you know hand gestures. Unless my hands are on screen, you don't see them at all. And that kind of thing. Absolutely. So I'm not getting everything through them, but it's better. Again, it's better than just audio, right? Yeah. 
That's true. What about, you know, stuff like I've noticed a lot of tone indicators being used more like in increasing frequently, especially on the internet, mainly because I think it started amongst like autistic circles because, you know, online text-based communication lacks that nonverbal, those nonverbal cues. Is that something that you've come across or done a lot of research on? I haven't, you know, specifically done done research on that, but it, but it, I mean, it's really clear that what we're trying to do, if we're if we're trying to communicate well electronically, is we're trying to compensate for the fact that there's the nonverbal elements are not there or they're limited in terms of what's there, and so you know, it, and I don't think we think about this, but I think that we could. Um, you know, and, and people do do this, the do's and don'ts of Zoom, of, you know, of uh, video conferences. And really what we're doing is we're telling people, you know, sort of how to behave. And much of that is nonverbal. Yeah. I mean, you know, so. I feel like we really desperately need a Zoom etiquette course of some sort at the start of the yeah, pandemic yeah. to kind of make sure that everyone was on the same page as to how to do it. Yeah. It, I mean, it's like everything, you know, and, and communication is fantastically complex as are relationships. But the only way we can maintain a relationship is through some form of communication. And, you know, if we have a long distance relationship and um, as we do, right, I'm in the I'm in the States and you're you're down under and we just can't get together synchronized times very well. And so we probably, if we had a relationship, a lot of it would be through text and it would miss the nonverbal elements. And we have to put those nonverbal elements in some way. And so we either have to be very clear in our verbal communication or we'd use emojis or we'd actually tell, I'd actually tell you I'm feeling these kinds of things. I'm feeling nervous about the work that we're doing together or I'm feeling nervous about the quality of our relationship. I have to tell you that verbally. You would, if we were together in the room, you would sense this through body language, but I've got to now convey it. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that kind of brings us, I feel like there's so much more I could discuss, but in the interest of time, I'm going to end that segment there and move on to our um, experiment debrief, uh, where we try and put a little bit of what we learned into practice. So Ron, what is a practice that you have done or you would recommend to other people to help build better nonverbal communication? Okay. I think what I would suggest to people is to, um, to focus and to focus on, you know, first saying, I want to improve uh, the, my communication. And why do I want to do that? Well, because I want to improve my relationship with my significant other. All right. And I think one of the things to do is to make that a test case, you know. And so meet with your partner and say, you know, I want to work on better communication, just like, and, and if I were, I'm not a, a, a you know, a licensed marital, marital therapist, right? But if I were asked to do that, I would say, you know, what essentially what I'm suggesting is have some good therapy sessions with your significant other and say, I want to work on better communication in our relationship. And in order to do this, you're going to have to give me feedback about, you know, what you think I'm trying to communicate. And I will give you feedback about 
what I'm trying to communicate. I will, you know, try to be very clear. And I would just work on that exercise with, you know, one individual. So when we've actually done training in nonverbal communication, so we've already talked about you got to be motivated, you've got to put the time in and and the practice, and you got to get that feedback. But the other thing too is homework, right? So if we talk about learning something, you know, you learn in the classroom, we also do homework. Well, what is the homework? Well, the homework is taking what you've learned to another situation and applying it. So if I'm improving my relationship with my significant other, then is that making me more effective in my relationships at work or my relationships with my kids or my siblings? And, um, and so practicing that. So one of the things that we found was we brought people into the lab and we taught them nonverbal communication skills. And then we sent them home with homework assignments. Talk to somebody and use this. And then later they told us at the end of the session, they said things like, you know what? My relationship with my significant other has gotten better over this training. Why? Because we're connecting. My, my significant other told me that they, they're happier with me because we're communicating more clearly. So I would say the big deal is practice this. Just don't intellectualize what I'm saying, but work on trying to make your relationship better by working on the nonverbal skills because it's really nonverbal skills are the basis of emotion. And what we're trying to do is connect with people at an emotional level. Right. If we love that person, we want to communicate that. We want to have those sort of feelings of closeness. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things, and you know, people who've listened to one of LMSL's other podcasts, Reloscopes, uh, will learn is that like the way you communicate with your significant other is often very similar to the way you might communicate. A lot of those communication principles remain the same with people who, with your platonic friends, with your family, siblings, with coworkers, even, um, those basic fundamentals of how to communicate yourself uh, to other people, no matter who it is, uh, more or less the same. Right. The, the process is the same. The message may be different, yeah. right? It, it, it's you know, a much more professional relationship with your boss or your colleagues or whatever than you would have with, you know, with your significant other or your family members. But, it, but the principles are the same. You know, am I, am I communicating effectively? Do you get that I'm not happy right now? And why am I not happy? And the other thing too is if, if we pick up on the other person's emotions and we realize that they're experiencing some distress for, or, or whatever, is then we can take steps to help them deal with that. You know? Um, you know, all too often what we do is if we're not communicating, we walk away from the person and then we're puzzled. Well, what happened? I don't really understand. We'll try to turn that around and say, you know, I, I sense that you're upset, Aditi. I, I sense that something's wrong. Can you share with me? I want to understand, right? Just simply doing that is going to be more effective. Yeah, yeah absolutely. How, how do you go about, you know, like applying this where, where do we begin and kind of say, you know, you've gone, you've either um, had a consultation with someone on your nonverbal communication, or perhaps you kind of just found something online or through a course that you want to put into practice. Who's the best person you should go to first? You know, where do you begin? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I I think you need you know it in the same way you know we, we if we want to learn to you know public speaking or we want to learn to become more effective listener or whatever there are courses in that there are not courses there are not very many courses there are some in in nonverbal communication but I think what you have to do is you have to design your own course you have to say okay you know how am I going to do this and and you know what what should I do now. You know, we do do training and, you know, and, and I've published a, a manual for trainers on how to, you know, improve people's nonverbal and social skills. Um, but I think, I think you really have to sort of create your own curriculum, you know, so think of it this way, you know, what am I going to do? I mean, it'd be the same thing if, um, you know, if you wanted to exercise, right? So why do I want to, you know, I want to put myself on an exercise program. Well, do I want to build up? Do I want to become, you know, uh, increase the the uh, appearance of my body? Or am I doing this exercise program uh, to just become healthier, to have better cardiovascular? And so I have to think about what's the intention. And so I think then you can if you've got the idea, okay, I want to become a more effective communicator in my relationship, or I want to become a more effective communicator at work, or where my worlds combine, uh, collide, um, I want to become a more effective leader. And people say, okay, I, you know, Mr. Leadership uh, Scholar, Leadership Development Scholar, um, what's the one thing that I should do as a leader to make myself more effective? And you know what I'm going to say that one thing is? Become a better communicator, mm -hmm. right? Because essentially what leaders do is they're communicating. There's a famous study way back where they started studying managers, you know, managers we equate with leaders today. And they followed managers around and said, what do they do all day? What do these leaders do all day? Well, you know what? They spend about 80% of their day communicating to other people, either in meetings, right? informally writing memos or texting or emailing most of the day is communicating so if there's one thing a leader should do to improve it's become a better communicator so if you're in a leadership position or if you're just in an employee position follower improving your communication is going to make you a more effective leader going to make you a more effective coworker because People are going to understand where you're coming from. So you can set up any aspect of your life as a kind of a mini course to try to communicate, but follow those principles, stick with it, be motivated, get the feedback from the other person. How am I coming across and continually work to improve? Mm. Say that, you know, you've made your own course for yourself. So you figured out, you know, what you want to communicate and why, um, and you've, figured out what you want to focus on improving how often should you do your homework and how do you test that you've got the answers right yeah so i think you need to determine how much you want to work at this right um and and then commit that time to it and it's just like the gym membership right well how, how many days am i going to go to the gym how often am i going to do this and you know i mean it uh, I did this during the pandemic. Um, so I work in the area of leadership. We work with our students here to try to develop their leadership skills. And one of the things I thought about during the pandemic is, well, 
you know, we can't meet with them face to face. We can't do all of the kinds of things that we normally did. Um, you know, sometimes students would just walk into my office and we start talking. And so I had these opportunities to talk about leadership all the time. But now I only see them at the class time with our scheduled Zoom class sessions. So what did I do? Well, I put this all into a book and I call it Daily Leadership Development, 365 Steps to Improving Your Leadership. And each of those 365 steps is basically just a couple of paragraphs, one page of what's a leadership skill dimension. And then at the end, how can I develop this? And so I wrote this book to essentially give to my students to say, okay, when we're not in class or when we're not in a, a, pro, a leadership development program here, or after you've graduated, what can you do on a daily basis, five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day to improve your leadership? And I think you could use that same model to say, what can I do five or 10 minutes a day to improve communication in my relationships? You know, And I think what you'll see is if you focused on that and you looked at my daily leadership development book, you'd see an awful lot of overlap because the same processes, because as I said, leaders are primarily communicating to other people. Yeah. And so part of it is communication. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like we were talking about earlier, like communication, a lot of the very basic principles and foundations of how to communicate with people remain the same, regardless of, I guess, who you're speaking to. Um, based on on your experience, um, would, is, there, is there a practice that you would combine this with in order to kind of enhance enhance it or either they just kind of go hand in hand really well together? Well, I, I mean, I think one thing that you want to do is you do want to, if you're really serious about this, is learn a little bit about nonverbal communication. Learn about, because there's a lot of um, sort of incorrect information out there, right? There's this belief that, uh, that nonverbal communication, that body language is a language like verbal language, and it's not. It's much more complex. It's much more abstract. And so it's not a true language. In other words, you know, there are some elements, very tiny elements, right? So if I uh, give a particular gesture, well, here in, I don't know if it's the same in Australia, but if I do this, that means okay, all right? Mm -hmm. But there are cultural differences. If I do this in some cultures, that's an obscene gesture, right? So, so, so we have to, so there is no, you know, definite uh, verbal uh, translation for our nonverbal verbal cues. So we need to learn some of that. Um, if we talk about, you know, so there are no telltale uh, cues of somebody lying, right? We think, okay, uh, a person who's lying can't look us in the eye when they're telling us a lie. Well, that's not true. In fact, we did research. We have data that shows when people are lying, they're more likely to look you more in the eye when they're lying than when they're truth telling. Why do they look you more in the eye when they're lying? Because they know you're looking at whether they're looking at you in the eye. So you, you get what I said. So a lot of nonverbal communication is like a dance between two people where they're either trying to hide their true, true feelings from someone else or in a relationship, they're trying hard to let their true feelings be known but their inability to communicate effectively 
is interfering with that. So I think the other thing you can do is you can learn a little bit about nonverbal communication so that you don't fall into traps. Um, so I, you know, and one of the things that when I talk about learning, I talk about top-down learning, learning about learning. Why, you know? So when we study leadership, for example, we may look at historical examples, and you go. Well, what has history got to do with leadership? I'm leadership in a work setting. You're telling me about uh, a famous president or a famous political leader. Say, well, because there are lessons there about leadership. So learning and reading a little bit about nonverbal communication helps that top-down learning so that when you're actually practicing it, you have a little bit deeper understanding, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm also assuming that... Um my God, uh, like in terms of, you know, those differences in gestures, um, there's also that aspect of individual differences as well, right? And that the way, uh, for, I'm thinking of grief, for example, the way people react to um, tragic tragedy varies so greatly. Some people want to joke it off because they, they rely on humor to cope, but some people that. react very, very differently to that and don't appreciate it. That's a, that's a terrific example, and you captured the complexity right there. And so how in that situation, how do you communicate or how do you become more effective? So you have to not take it at face value. The person's joking and you're saying, oh my gosh, they're not experiencing grief because they're joking. Well, that's, that's naive, right? That's a naive interpretation. And you just gave us the answer to that. And so the, the way to become a more effective communicator is to ask the person, you know, I, I see you're doing this, but what are you really feeling? And, you know, and so it's that ability to sort of pull out um, what's actually going on and, and just the fact that, and, and that's where I'm getting at that awareness thing. If we're aware that don't take emotional expressions at face value, there may be a lot going on underneath. If we take that rule into account, then we approach that situation much more differently than we would if we were naive. We'd say, why are you laughing? Why is that person laughing? They yeah. must be happy that the person died. You know, well, of course that's absurd, but you know, so, so again, we have to understand all the complexity here. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, that kind of brings us to the end of that debrief. I might move on now to some questions from the audience. Are you happy to answer them? Sure, of course. Fantastic. Um, so the first uh, question is, and I, I think you addressed this a little bit um, just a bit earlier, which is how how do does culture factor into nonverbal communication? How does it change the way we communicate with people? Yeah. So culture it plays a big part, right? Because there are you know sort of cultural um, rules, uh, what we call norms, right? So let me just give you a, an example. Uh, Asian cultures, the, there's a stronger norm to control the expression of your emotions. So you don't display emotions. Mediterranean cultures, there, there's a norm for, you know, expressing, over-expressing the emotions. I'm, I'm Italian-American, right? So I gesture a lot. And I'm, you know, that, that, that sort of thing. So cultural differences play a part. Now, if we want to become, now we can think about uh, nonverbal communication and your skill as kind of related to emotional intelligence, right? So am I, you know, am I smart about the emotional elements? Well, think about this, that 
how does culture come into play? Well, we can be culturally intelligent. We can know that in this culture, these are the rules, the norms for how you display up these certain kinds of emotions. So one of the things that we can do to become better at that is experience other cultures and see how they do things. And what is that going to do? Well, it's going to make us more effective at communicating with that person, but it's also going to make us more culturally intelligent. And this relates to another area that I've been interested in is, is the area of diversity and inclusion. We're in an increasingly diverse world. And so one of the ways that we can become uh, better at living in that diverse world and working in that diverse world is to try to understand other people's perspectives, other people's backgrounds, other people's culture, so that we don't treat them with, you know, with this stereotype from our own culture. And we realize that they have different ways of expressing themselves. So, you know, so I think that as we become, you know, if we talk about this from a sort of a social skill perspective, the more different kinds of people that we interact with, the more different kinds of people that we develop relationships with, that's going to make us more culturally skilled, more socially skilled in a broad sense. And I like, I guess my personal follow up to that as well is also it can be as simple as just studying up on what a country's customs are before you travel to it as a tourist um, and not kind of um, creating chaos, I suppose, wherever you go. Yeah. And, and it makes sense, right? I mean, you know, and, and I think that people do themselves a disservice if they don't do that, if they don't investigate the culture a little bit find out about the do's and don'ts. And there's YouTube videos and things like that. I mean, there's so many resources. So when I say that idea, I know people are going, oh, he wants me to create my own course, my own curriculum. <laughs> well, that may be part of your curriculum is just, you know, let's go explore some YouTube videos. I'm going to France. What are some of the, the social norms, the cultural norms in France or wherever, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, the next question is, how does mental health factor into the way we communicate um, non-verbally and does it actually change um, the way that we communicate? Yeah, so I think first, um, I think as you become more socially skilled, so we'll take the broad, you know, the broad thing here, uh, you're going to be better in your relationships, you're going to be better at coping, you're going to feel less stress. So, I mean, you know, it's clear that if if you've got good relationships, and you're able to build good relationships, that that's going to be positively associated with mental health. We've got lots of research that so show that socially skilled individuals are more mentally healthy. You know, they simply are. A lot of, um, you know, psychopathology, a lot of uh, people's difficulties psychological difficulties, psychological disturbances are often diagnosed through their nonverbal cues. So if we talk about um, people on the autism spectrum, you know, they have difficulty communicating nonverbally. They have difficulty knowing what the appropriate emotions are. Um, if we talk about even, you know, other kinds of uh, mental illness, it's displayed often through nonverbal cues. And so good 
therapists look pay as much attention to the what people uh, to how people are saying things as to what they're saying. So they do pay attention to nonverbal cues. The study of nonverbal communication really began in clinical psychology of these therapists saying, well, they're telling me this, but their body's saying something completely different. Yeah, yeah. I would love to know how masks have affected um, a lot of those nonverbal cues and that kind of thing. Because I know here in Australia, you still have to wear a mask to go see any kind of medical professional at the moment. Um, So, yeah, for sure. I mean, think about it. What we do is we know the face is important. And when we mask, we cut it, we cut it the face in half and we only get half the cues, right? Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Um, The final question is, um, how do you explain hysterical reactions to things? Are they considered nonverbal? And is there any way to avoid them happening? Yeah. So if you think about hysterical, what is it? It's this sort of strong emotional response, right? And, and I've already talked about one of the elements that, that is, is involved in nonverbal skill is that ability to regulate and control. And that's, you know, we don't want to, you know, be over the top emotionally. We want to sort of dampen it a little bit and regulate it. And that's something we can work on. And some of us are just naturally much more, we sort of emotionally let loose, right? Um, which is not a bad thing. But, you know, too much of it, you know, or inappropriately doing it is. And so one of the things that we work on, too, is that ability to regulate that and the ability to control that. From a clinical perspective, that though those hysterical outbursts may be part of the diagnosis of this person has a a real problem. And, you know, so now we have to look under that. But for most people, we want to be able to sort of regulate that so that our displays of emotions are much more appropriate to the circumstances, to the situation, to the other person. So for let me just give you a simple example, since I work in leadership, is the way, the amount of emotion, if I'm in a role as a leader in the organization or just a, a worker, my emotional expressions are pretty much dampened compared to my home life. In my home life, I may cut loose, and it's okay because those people know I can cut loose. I cut loose at work; it looks like I'm goofing off, right? So, so you see what I'm saying? So, um, so regulating is really important, and we all do it. We go to work and we sort of dampen our emotions because it's not home. You know, mm-hmm. we can't just do those kind. Of, you know, but th- we learn this, and so we do have to control those. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, That brings us to the end of the questions from the audience. So thank you so much for answering all of those really wonderful answers that I'm sure the people who sent in the questions will be really happy with. Um, But we now have our open mic where I let you have a mini TED Talk for a few minutes about whatever you feel was important to address at this stage. Um, So Ron, what did you have to chat about? Okay, well, I mean, one of the things, so I'm, I'm, you know, far on in my career. Um, you know, I'm a professor. I, I try to teach. I try to develop people. I work in leadership development. I want to develop the next generation of leaders. And I think as I get at this stage in my career, I start thinking about how can I impact people? How can I sort of give away what I know? And so one of the things I did about now, I think it's been about a dozen years 
um, I write a Psychology Today blog. And it's around leadership, but I don't just stick to leadership. I talk about all kinds of topics because I'm kind of all over the place in terms of my interests. Um, but it's called Cutting Edge Leadership. It's psychologytoday.com. And essentially, there's little lessons there about how to become more non-verbally skilled, how to become a better leader, uh, how to have better relationships, you know, all those kinds of things. And so that's free and accessible and people can get, get that. I mentioned the book, The Daily Leadership Development. I wrote that. I purposely kept the price low um, so that I can buy it and give it to my students as a gift when they graduate. But, um, you know, I think it's $9.99 if you want to get the ebook version on Amazon or whatever. So what I'm trying to do now, and then in my regular publications, in my uh, publications, in journals, my research, <clears throat> what I'm really trying to do is give away all this knowledge to help make people to apply it. Yeah, I think access to education, I think, is becoming more and more important these days, especially, you know, the Internet makes it really easy to access misinformation. So having information that's actually verifiable is, is super important. For sure. Good. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ron, for joining me today. I've had such a pleasure talking to you. Um, I, I feel like I could keep going for another hour or so, but unfortunately, neither of us have that kind of time. Um, where can people find you? So I'm easy to find um, on the internet. Um, you know, I have. I also have a uh, website uh, and occasionally put some of the blog posts up there. It's called RiggioLeadership.org, uh, just my name, leadership, all one word. Um, and you know, you, people can email me if they've got questions or concerns. I'm very easy to find just sort of Google my name. Uh, and you know, I'm at that, like I said, I'm at that stage where I'm happy to give away information. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that you've chosen to give away some of that information with us today. Um, I've had a lovely time. I have too. I've enjoyed it a lot. You've been listening to Self-Improvement Atlas, the personal science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the life management science labs. For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, search LMSL on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel, as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can also be found on our website at pe.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Aditi Kuti. Thanks for tuning in.